If you're mildly relevant, you probably at least have, have Facebook. Most of us in the room have, have Facebook. Some of our grandmas have Facebook. I've seen uh, research that says like the average Facebook user is like 54 years old now. So I, I would assume uh, many people in the room have that. I've seen uh, research that says the average Twitter user is, is 37. So probably, uh, probably half the room has Twitter. Maybe, maybe you're live tweeting right now if you are. Thank you for doing that. That's very exciting. Uh, but maybe, maybe if you're even a little younger and cooler than that, or you just try hard like myself. Maybe, maybe you, have, you have Instagram, right? Maybe, maybe you have all three of those. I don't know what you have. And if you're, if you're, if you're really awesome, maybe you have uh, Snapchat. I've tried to get into that. I don't really understand it. And so that's probably the line of where my coolness and my, my age ends. But um, if you've had social media for even a, a few days or, or weeks, you probably understand that there seems to be like a, an unwritten code uh, with that. And, and the, the code is this, that uh, you're, you're supposed to always look great on social media. Right. If you've uh, if you've if you've had Facebook for like more than a week, you understand that you're supposed to take the greatest picture in the history of time, where you look like you've been working out for like the last 20 days, and you look like you have a spray on tan, and you're supposed to put that up as your profile picture and and look incredible and look flawless. Right. So, so there is there's my profile picture that I, if I'm being honest, have put up from time to time. That's that's a headshot that I took when we started movement, and so I I don't want to just be the one that's talking down to social media and talking down to us. That's me being transparent. That. Is is a picture that I have, have put up. Uh, here's, here's another one of, of my marriage looking perfect in a perfect snapshot. There it is right there. And so uh, that's something else that I, I put up. Here's, here's one of my entire, uh, my family a few years ago before we had Zion, just casually walking in front of a brightly colored wall in the short north, like we do almost every day, holding hands, being diverse, loving each other. It's what we do, people. It's what we do. So uh, that's, that's a picture of us. Um, Here's, here's another picture just recently took of the kids, uh, and they all look and act like that all the time. So that's, that's what's cool is that the photographer was able to capture a picture of them just in their natural element being perfect. And so um, those, are, those are some of the pictures that, that we put up. Uh, here's another one of our, our family. Uh, like I said, my kids are smiling at all times, and so it's really easy to parent them and just go about life. And in case you're wondering, am I supposed to just look personally perfect or have a perfect marriage or just make it look like my kids are perfect? Yeah, but you also are supposed to make it look like even your extended family has never messed up. And so there's my extended family just casually standing in a wheat field, um, which is something we do every Christmas. So, uh, no, I, I say that to joke, but, but that's obviously, if you have social media, if you have Facebook, if you've ever put up a profile picture or a cover picture, if, you, if you've done something on Twitter or you put up Instagram pictures often, you know that that seems to be how this works, right? You're supposed to put up something and say, this is me, this is me smiling, this is me still smiling because I always smile because I've never messed up and, and my life is perfect. And that seems to be uh, how that works. And yet, I think sometimes people think that that's, that's just social media, right? I've, I've heard older people say like, well, that's how fake people are now and that's how social media is ruining the world. And uh, I remember life before social media. I've heard people talk down to selfies and say, oh, it's making everyone more selfish. I used to have disposable cameras when I was in middle school because my mom wouldn't get me a real one. You know, those throwaway cameras. And I would go places, and when I wanted to be selfish, I would just say, hey, can you take a picture of me and my friends? Or, hey, can you take a picture of me? So I was already selfish. I was self-absorbed. It has nothing to do with social media. This mindset has been around for a few years, a few centuries, a few thousand years. And so as, as people, as humans, we're, we're selfish and we're self-absorbed and we're, we're self-focused. And that just seems to be who we are. Like I said, some of us blame that on age, on youth. And so let me ask you a, a question here, if we're going to be honest and, and transparent day, today. 
when is the last time that you shared uh, a fight that, that you had at your house where you just went to work and said, hey, my marriage isn't perfect. Let me tell you about it. Let me, or when's the last time you walked home and said, hey, my boss freaked out on me today because I dropped the ball and messed up. Let me, let me share that. Or when's the last time you said, hey, my kids got in huge trouble. Can I, can I talk about that with someone? Hey, I've been really stressed out recently. I have a ton of anxiety. Can I just be open and honest? No, it's not, it's not just social media. It's, it's us. We, we don't often want to share things. We don't often want to be honest and transparent and say, here's how I'm inadequate. Here's how I'm flawed. Here's a way that, that I sin. Here's a way that I mess up. This is, this is just who we are as humans. We like to hide things and, and mask things. And so in, in honor of that, in honor of taking off the mask today, I've, I've been uh, keeping a record of some pictures the last couple weeks. Uh, as, I, as I show those pictures of, of me and my family pretending that, that we, we've, got, uh, we've got life figured out, I've been, I've been taking some pictures as we didn't have life figured out. Knowing that we were going to talk about this today, I thought I could show a few of those to you. And so um, here, are, here are some of those, those pictures. Uh, we, uh, we took that one family picture at a wedding that happened a few weeks ago. And at a wedding, you want everything to be perfect. You want it all to come together. You go and buy your kids little clip-on ties, and you make sure they're straight, and you, you act all, all perfect. And, and uh, the night before that wedding, our, our second son, Canaan, came to us, and he's like, Dad, I think something's wrong with my eye. And we're like, oh, I just got a little something in there, buddy. We wiped it. And like five minutes later, he came back, and like, there's like green and yellow stuff in his eye, and it's like gooped shut. And we were like, Oh, there is definitely something wrong with your eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a picture that I took. We, uh, we realized, we're like, we cannot have pink eye. We have 13 people staying in our home this week for this wedding. We've got to squash this real quick. So at, at like 9.40 at night, I jump in the car and take Kane into urgent care. And you can see his, uh, his left eye there. He's like squinting shut. When we walked in, the lady was like, would you like a mask? And he said yes. It had nothing to do with pink eye, but... Um, I just thought it was awesome and showed that, you know, no one would make that their profile picture where you're just like, I can't breathe in this toxic air and my eyes goop shut. But that, that was a snapshot in time of us right before this wedding where you're seeing these other perfect pictures. This is us. And not just this, but you know, if you've been to urgent care, it's not as urgent as they like to name the place, right? And so you, you end up waiting for like three and a half hours and then... You know, I, I couldn't send him home because eventually they're going to give us a prescription, which, which he needs. And so I have to take him in the car and we have to find a 24-hour pharmacy. And of course, there's only like two in Columbus and you're, you're driving all over and he's in the back of the car. And so as a good parent, you should put your kid to bed at like eight or nine, right? Well, at like 1130, Kanan's in the back of the car with this mask still on, like slumped over sleeping. And I'm waiting in a Kroger parking lot, just hoping that they'll get this, this medicine called into the pharmacy so that we can get that for him and, and get him better. So that's just one snapshot in the last couple weeks of a way that, that life wasn't perfect. Uh, another, another thing that happened, uh, the week of the wedding, I, I took some vacation, and so I was like, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to take the boys to Hocking Hills, and we're going to do some hiking. And so I took a bunch of pictures. Here's a picture. This is them running. And I don't know if you can tell in this picture, if you look, my, my son that's in the front, Malachi, his feet are kind of blurry. That's because as I snapped this, he's running down a hill and tripped over a rock. And you can kind of see that look on his face, like something's not going right, right? And so I took them on this dad vacation. He tripped on a rock and went flying down this hill. And you can tell by the rocks and full-size trees laying on the path, this is not the safest path in the world. And so he wiped out and tore a hole through his jeans. Mom was not too excited about that, not happy with me. And he tore a scab off and he was bleeding and his shirt came up and he was like bleeding on his rib cage and he's like crying and he's like, dad, this was a terrible idea to come here today. 
And uh, what did I do? I put a picture up. It was like Hocking Hills Day with the fam, you know. And, and, and there, were, there were some great times. We saw the waterfalls and stuff. But if I'm being honest, this is something else that, that happened that day. And so that's a, a look behind, uh, behind the curtain a little bit. That was our, our trip to, to Hocking Hills. And so there were, there were some other ones. Um, here's, here's another one from this past uh, week. You know, you try to sterilize things. You try to be okay. Well, it turns out that somehow Canaan passed the pink eye on to Mercy, our daughter, right? So here's a picture. This is, uh, this is us forcefully putting the drops in Mercy's eyes, and she was not excited about that. And if you've ever had to, like, forcefully put eye drops in a two-year-old's eyes as they cry and scream at you, and it's a wonderful feeling. So that was another parenting highlight from this past week. And um, just one more, uh, one more picture here. Um, this is, uh, this is another picture that really just symbolizes where we're at in general. We have, a, we have a six-week-old at home, and so I'll just let you put this picture up. It kind of explains itself. Um, I took that the other night at 2 in the morning. I was just like, this is life right now, you know. It wasn't like we made her cry or we were like, hey, pretend to cry just for the sake of showing some chaos. This is, this is a lot of where uh, life is right now. So that's a look behind the curtain. That's a look at life and some of the imperfections and some of the things that happens. And, and so today, as, as we start this series, uh, called the game of life. We're, we're, we're tagging it how to get along with your family when life happens. And um, I recently went to a garage sale and found this wonderful copy of the game of life that my family has been playing. And so those little blue and pink things that you put in the car when you have a baby are all over our house. I'm finding them in places. Uh, but this game is is really funny and it, it's, it represents life, I guess, because there are moments you'll be driving and all of a sudden it's like, you just had twins. And you're like, but I didn't want twins. I didn't even... I didn't even know that I was married, you know, or they're like, you just lost $100,000. And you're like, I don't have $100,000. How is that possible? And so the, the reason that we're talking about this series is because there's a famous phrase that says, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Life is what happens when you're making other plans. And sometimes we don't know what's going to happen in life. We don't expect what's going to happen in life. And, and there are other people involved in life. There are spouses, there are siblings, there are parents, there are people we love, people we work with, people that, that want to love us, people that hurt us. And they, they, they make life interesting and, and a lot different. And so simply put, we want to do this series because there are people who have perfect marriages I think. There are people who like to pretend that they're perfect parents. There are people who like to pretend that every picture they take is perfect and they have no trouble and they don't fight with their siblings and they don't clash with their parents. And then there are probably a lot more people who are thinking, how do I navigate all of these relationships and all of these things that make up my life? This is messy. And so we want to talk about this over these next couple of weeks. When we, when we started Movement Church, uh, we were given some very in-depth research on this side of Columbus. And this is actually one of the topics uh, that we were told that, that people who don't even know Jesus, people who aren't even involved in the church, this is something they want to know about. How do they navigate the messiness of life and the messiness of, of family relationships? And so we're talking about this uh, for a reason. And so we want to uh, dig into the, the game of life this morning. And so I want to invite us to, to turn to a passage as we kind of uh, set the tone and, and intro this whole concept and talk about being transparent, talk about being where we're at and being dependent on God. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. If you've got one of the Bibles that's under you, on, under your chair, it's on page 883. 
And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we would love for you to, to keep that Bible that's in your hand. Take that home and, and read that and explore that. We believe that the Bible is God's uh, gift to us, an instruction book for life. And so we want people to be able to, to know what's in there and study that. So feel free to, to take that Bible with you today. But we're going to be uh, looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 on page 883, just as, as, as I said, as we talk about what this struggle of being uh, real and admitting where we're at in life looks like. So we want to go to uh, verse 7. Let's start there. I'll read it out loud. You can, you can follow along. You can take some notes. You can tweet something if you're awesome. You can Snapchat something if you're really awesome. And teach me how to do it later because I'm still very confused. So here is, uh, here's verse 7. It says this. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. When it says the, the old way there, it's, it's talking about the old covenant. It's talking about uh, the, the, the system that was in place in the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments, maybe many of us know. Uh, if you don't know, that there were, there were Ten Commandments that were given to Israel, and those represented a covenant that God had with Israel. And so the way their relationship with God would work was they, they were to respond and obey to those Ten Commandments and make sure that they were right with God. And so that's what it's talking about when it says the old way. We'll continue in verse 7. It says this. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. And so this passage is, is in 2 Corinthians. It's a passage that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, but it's going to be referencing back to some times in Exodus and to the story of Moses. You probably know the story of Moses. You've maybe seen the prince of Egypt when you were little, but in some way, uh, you know that story that God used Moses to bring the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and bring them out of Exodus. And so what it's referring to is in chapter 31 of Exodus, Moses goes up uh, to this mountain and, and God makes a covenant with him and gives him the Ten Commandments to give to the people. And Moses has this, this great experience and he comes down off the mountain and he's just been with God. And while he was gone, the people got bored and they got restless and they forgot he was their leader and they forgot God was their God. And they, they started worshiping this other God that they had made and they were completely distracted. And Moses come down, comes down off the mountain. He's like, seriously, guys? Seriously? And he takes these Ten Commandments and he throws them out of, out of anger and he breaks them. And so he, he goes back up to the mountaintop and he meets with God again. And God sends him back down with a second set of the Ten Commandments. And, and as he does this, he makes a covenant with Moses. And this is not a contract. This is a covenant that I will love you. I will love the people of Israel no matter what. And so that's the background that's set for this. That was this, this old system. Verse 8 in 2 Corinthians says this. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? So in this old way, a lot of what they did was based on rules. It was based on this covenant with God. If you understand the New Testament, you know that Jesus came and changed that. And he is the new covenant. His death and resurrection has given us a relationship with God. And so it's talking about this new way. If you've given your life to Jesus, we're told that we've been given the Holy Spirit. And so we have, we have one-third of the Trinity inside of us, guiding us, helping us live life. And this verse is just saying, man, if that old way in the Old Testament was pretty awesome, how awesome is this that we have a piece of God inside of us? We have one of the persons of God inside of us. Verse 9, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? 
It's referring to the Old Testament. It's saying that there was a set of rules, and ultimately, you know how rules are. People break them. People step outside of them. And so one of the things that was both good and bad about this old system, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was that it often showed that people weren't able to be good enough. And so they had to make things right with God. But if that was considered glorious, and ultimately people were breaking these rules and people were failing, how great is it, is what this passage is saying, to be under a system where you don't have to be good enough anymore? How great is it to be under a system where if you've understood that Jesus has died for you, and you've asked for for him to be a part of your life, that his blood is covering all of the screw-ups that you've done, all of the ways that you've messed up. How great is that system that it's not about you and about these rules anymore? It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done. The answer, pretty great. Verse 12 says this, Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be bold. So if you were asking, why is this great? This is great because now that we have life in Jesus, now that we have relationship with Jesus, now that we're made right through Jesus, we can be bold and we can be excited. Verse 13 says this, We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, so the people of Israel would not see the glory of even though it was destined to fade away. So again, it's referencing back to Moses and coming down off of the mountain and having been with God and getting these 10 commandments. And I want to read Exodus 35. This is what this passage is, is referring to. This is Exodus 35, 29. It says, When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all of the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given them, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. So there's some background of what this passage is referencing. Here's what Paul is saying about it in 2 Corinthians, where we've been. This is verse 13 again. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face. So the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with the veil. And they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So we look at those last verses, and I know that we've covered a lot, and there's been a lot of background, but what I see in verses 12 to 18 is that that veil that was over Moses' face and that veil was ultimately pointing people to this old system and to the system of rules and to the system of religion. And somehow 
the, the old covenant and this veil, a lot of what was going on was pointing people away from what God was doing and, and what he wanted to do. And so the truth is, is this. When, when Moses went up and spent time with God and he came down, the, the glory of God was on his face, but that was temporary. And that was temporary because it was showing that God had, had set up that covenant for a certain time and that it had a certain place where it was going to be powerful, where it was going to be enacted, and yet it was going to fade, it was going to end, and it was going to go away. And as we look at this, I can't help but think that Moses did not want the people to know that because the glory that was on his face in some ways said, oh, this guy's official. This guy's real. He's, he's been with God. He's your leader. He's in charge. He's the powerful one. And so I've blessed his ministry. I've called him to do this. And, and a lot of what he was doing was validated because you could literally see his face glowing as he had spent time with God. And you could see his face glowing as he was validated from his time with God. And yet God wanted that to be seen that that was fading away. So by, by Moses putting on a, a veil or a camouflage uh, hanky, you know, as I found in my, my drawer this morning, by Moses covering up his face and not letting people see what was actually happening, by, by putting their attention on this and just letting them guess, I don't know what's happening behind that, but I bet it's perfect. I bet it's awesome. I bet, I bet what Moses has going on in his life is really special because he's the one that God talks to. He was drawing attention to himself. And he was drawing attention to, to this, this pursuit of per- perfection that people were looking at. And he, he was drawing attention to not what God was doing and not where God was, was going. And so for some reason, Moses veiled his face and drew attention to himself and to his leadership. He didn't want to show that he was imperfect. He didn't want to show that he was inadequate. He wanted everyone to think that everything that was going on with the old covenant was still intact and everything was good and he was good with God and, and everything was perfect. I think you can probably draw the parallel for where we want to go today because we often do the same thing. We often put a veil over our lives and say, hey, my marriage is perfect, my job is perfect, my smile is perfect, my kids are perfect, my family's perfect, my attitude is perfect, my credit score is perfect, everything is perfect. And by doing that, we point people to ourselves. We put ourselves up on a stage and we say, look at me, everything's good. We put a veil over what God is doing and where he's taking us, and that veil gets the attention. That veil covers what God is actually doing. And so I want to just unpack our, our big idea for this morning. I know we spent a lot of time setting it up, but, but here it is. Here's the, the big idea, and it's simply this. Your imperfect life is a billboard for God's greatness. Your imperfect life is a billboard for God's greatness. And so when we pretend to be perfect... We're saying that life is about us. And when we pretend to have a perfect marriage or a perfect career or a perfect attitude, we're saying, I'm self-sufficient. I can do everything on on my own. And I, I make myself joyful just by being awesome and waking up smiling in the morning. And when we show imperfection, when we show that we need God, when we show that we're dependent on God, it's pointing people to him because it's no longer about us. And so Moses needed to take that veil off. And Paul is saying that that the the church in Corinth should take that veil off and let people see who they are. Let people see what God is doing. And that's the application for us today. We need to take the veil off and say, my life isn't perfect. My marriage isn't perfect. My attitude isn't perfect. My career isn't perfect. It doesn't mean you're miserable. It doesn't mean you're saying that that you're going to end your life today or whatever things we tell ourselves. It means you're saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have it figured out. And anything good that you see in me is because of God's greatness. It's because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. 
This is a, a fun phrase that I saw this week. It says this. It says, our presentations of perfection pose a problem for others' progress. I realize how difficult that is to say, but that's the truth, isn't it? Our presentations of perfection pose a problem for others' progress. Because if we want to be a movement of people finding their way back to God, we want to be intentional and contagious with the gospel and with taking obedient steps to honor God and grow in a relationship with him, people have to be able to see him. People have to be able to see him and see that they need him and that they want to be dependent on him and they have to be able to want to take steps toward him. And if they're wanting to take steps towards the things that we're doing, if they're wanting to take steps toward having whiter teeth because we have whiter teeth, and if they're wanting to take steps towards having a better wardrobe because we have a better wardrobe or having a newer or nicer car, then we're distracting people and we're missing the point and we're part of the problem. We are the problem because if we're showing our imperfect lives That should be a billboard for God's greatness. And that means taking off the veil. That means admitting that we're not perfect. That means admitting that we don't have everything figured out. Here's another phrase that that really messed with me this week. It's just this. God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can't bless who you pretend to be. Scripture tells us in many different ways that God wants to bless us when we're at the end of ourselves. And we say, Lord, I have, I have nothing to offer. I, I need you. I need your son Jesus to come into my life, to guide me, to give me life. At the end of ourselves is where we find God and where we depend on God and where we live for God. And so if we're pretending that we're perfect, if we're pretending that we've got it all figured out or we're pretending that we don't have problems, God can't bless that because we're not ready to give him control. God can't bless who you pretend to be. This book of 2 Corinthians is a, is a, a great book. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I'd, I'd say take, it, take that Bible home or look, read on your iPad. Somewhere this week, read 2 Corinthians because Paul has started this church. He's helped get this church going. And as he left town, some, some guys came in that were false teachers and they started saying crazy stuff and just bad stuff and attacking the theology of this church and attacking the foundation that he had built. And so he's writing this letter back to try and rebuild some things and save some things. And if, if you were Paul, this guy's a pretty big deal. If I were writing this letter, I probably would have been like, hey, guys, it's me, Paul. I'm a huge deal. I wrote most of the New Testament. So whoever those guys are that are saying dumb things, just tell them to stop. Tell them to get out of my church and tell them, tell them that we're going to do things my way. Paul could have, could have bragged a lot. He started many churches. He took journeys all over the place. He was a big deal. And yet this is what he said. These are some phrases that I wrote down from 2 Corinthians this week. He describes his life as being under great pressure. He says he's despaired of life. He talks about making painful visits to places. He talks about being under great distress. He talks about the anguish of his heart. He talks about shedding many tears. He mentions that he has no peace of mind. He describes our lives as jars of clay. He says he's been hard-pressed on every side. He says he's been persecuted and perplexed and struck down. He says he's carrying around the death of Jesus. He says death is at work within me. And he talks about beatings and imprisonments. He says, outwardly, I'm wasting away. And he references some sleepless nights. So he had a chance to say, hey, I'm good. And I'm a leader. And this is how we're going to do it. And what he said was, listen, I'm a nobody. But our God is, is somebody. And I'm dependent on him. And he's provided for me. And he's real in my life. And I want to point you to him. 
I want to point you as a church to him. I don't want you to look and see how great Paul is. I want you to look past me. I want you to look through me and see that our God is worth everything you're going through. And he's worth building the church for. And he's worth living your life for. Sometimes we just don't believe that. We, we cover ourselves with a veil and we hide things and we say, I've got it all figured out. Sometimes we even look back to the glory days and we think we had it all figured out then. We think, well, life's terrible now, but that's because my, my, my husband left me or that's because I lost that good job. If I would have kept that good job, I had benefits and a pension. I would have retired a millionaire. And we glorify the way things used to be before, before divorce, before our family was broken up, before a, a bad financial struggle. And the reality is if we're being honest with who we are as humans, we never had it together. We never had it figured out. We were made in the image of God, but we have sin in our lives and our hearts that separates us from God and takes us away from him. And everything we do and everything we try is a struggle to pretend we're perfect and for people to look at us and see that we've got it all figured out. And that is not the case. It wasn't the case when we had the good job or when we had a a marriage that we thought was better. At the essence and at the core of us, we're flawed. We're distanced from God. We need him. We need to be dependent on him. So what does it look like for us to be dependent on God? Well, I think it looks like us just looking at God and saying, God, I, I need you. I know how great you are. I want you in my life. I'm gonna invite Cody up and, and we wanna spend some, some time just doing that. Maybe, maybe you've, you, you, you've, you haven't realized that you've had a veil over your face. You haven't realized that you've been, you've been blocking what God could do in your life, but you've been, you've, been, you've been blocking what people can see and what God can do. And you've been saying, I'm good back here. I'm good. I've got a great job. I've got a good pension. 401k is looking pretty stellar this time of year. I'm gonna have a huge tax return. I'm pretty happy. I just started dating a new person. I've, my major is actually the, 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 the major that's most likely to make 100000 and so I'm probably going to be more happy than anyone I go to college with. And, and we, we hold this veil up and say that we're self-sufficient and that we're, we're good enough in so many ways and we're not. And so maybe today if you're realizing, I'm, I'm not happy. I've been, I've been holding up a veil. I've been pretending that I'm sufficient and I'm not. I want to I remember my dependence on God. I want to be reminded of my dependence on God. Just look to God and and talk to him. Let him know that you need him. Let him know that that you want him in your life and and you've been reminded of that. Take off the veil, admit you're not perfect and say that to him. Sometimes we just need to admit that we're not perfect. I wanna wanna give us a chance to just bow our heads right where we're at and just, just talk to God. Whatever the veil is that you've been holding up in your life, maybe it's your career, maybe it's a relationship, how have you been saying, God, I'm good, I don't need you, I've got this thing, and it, it helps me live life, it helps me navigate life, I'm, I'm perfect. Take that veil off, recommit your dependence to God. Tell him that you want to be dependent on him. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free
Jesus, I'll sing for all that you've done for me. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I'll sing for all that you've done for me. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Jesus, I'll sing for all that you've done for me. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I'll sing for all that you've done for me. In the privacy of where you are, go ahead and, and just keep your eyes closed. Keep talking to God. Maybe, maybe today for the first time you're realizing that your life has, has had a veil over it. Maybe you're realizing that you've You've pretended that you were good enough and that your life was good enough. And ultimately, our sin and our, our struggle, our loneliness, makes it very obvious that we're separated for God, that we're not in relationship with God. God loved us enough that he sent Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, conquered death, defeated sin, and gave us life, gave us relationship with God, gave us a path to God. And having a relationship with God is as simple as saying, Jesus, I realize that I'm not good enough. I realize that I'm not perfect, but you are perfect. Lord, come into my life and come into my heart. Lord, I want you to take away my sin and I want to give my life. I want to live my life for you the way that you gave your life for me on the cross. A relationship with God is is that simple. And so maybe for the first time you're realizing, you're saying today, I need to take the veil off and I need to admit a dependence on God. If that's a decision that, that you would want to make, I would invite you to go back to the next steps table. We would love to talk to you more about a relationship with Jesus, about a life that is focused on Jesus and that is dependent on Jesus. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul is still been mentioning a lot of things that are going on in his life. And, and he said this, I want you to just think about this. 
He was asking God, why, why are you doing these things in my life? Why do we have difficulty? Why are relationships so tough? Why is life so difficult? And he felt like God said this, my grace is all you need. Grace being undeserving. My power works best in your weakness. And so Paul said, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So as a church this week, let's take the veil off of our lives. Let's admit that we're not perfect. Let's admit that we need God. Let's admit that we're dependent on him. Say, I, I woke up like this, flawed. Not like Beyonce wants us to say, right? I, I woke up flawed. Let's say, I woke up flawed and I don't have it together because our imperfect lives are a billboard for God's greatness. God, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be in your presence and we thank you that we can be dependent on you because we need you. Lord, we want our lives to reflect you, to point people to you. God, help us to do that in our lives, in our careers, in our marriages, in our relationships. Help us to be dependent on you. God, we give, we give our lives to you and we pray that you'll be with us this week as we, as we seek to honor you and live for you. It's in your name we pray, amen.